0: I have no idea where this message is going to go today. I listened to Pastor Nick's message last week, and it was very good. Very, very good. How many of y'all enjoyed that last week? Man, my goodness. If he was insecure, I'd make you clap for him harder. I listened to it, and... uh, Just like Pastor Mike said in the very beginning of the message, uh, he went over the four different ways that vision is defined in the Old Testament. What's beautiful about what we learned last week was we began to see the difference in all the ways that we see. For instance, I can see right now that the projector screens that me and Nick put up on the wall are wrinkly. I can see that. I can perceive it. Then there's the mental perception, where I can sense that something's coming. It's almost like, um, what would be a good way to describe it? I'm going to go to lunch after this. I can perceive that I will be eating. Or like, I know that when Madeline gets married and moves out, I can perceive that there will be more disciples heading into the home. I can see these things. And then there's directional revelation. He described this. I thought this was a a very accurate example. David received a word, a directional revelation from Nathan, the prophet, that said, hey, the temple that you want to build for God, you're not going to be the one to build it. Your son's going to build it. So he was heading one way, and then God was like, no, 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 you're not going to be the one. He's like, oh, okay directional revelation. You receive revelation from God that lets you know you're supposed to go a different way than the way that you're going right now. And then finally, there's the kind of revelation that births new ministries. There's the kind of revelation that shows you who you are, that shows you why you're here and what you're supposed to do. I thought that was fantastic. It helps us understand. What's neat is that the first vision that we get, the one where you just perceive with your eyes is the one that's used the most. If you remember the way that God trained Jeremiah, is he said, hey, tell me what you see. And Jeremiah said, I see an almond tree. Am I loud? No? Good? Sweet. He said, tell me what you see. And Jeremiah said, I see an almond tree. He's like, yeah, you've seen correctly. So he teaches him how to see in the spiritual by using his physical vision. Remember, every time I get up here, We talk about this in some way, form, or fashion. God uses the physical things to teach us spiritual principles. Amen? So he teaches us to see. You see it used the most in the Bible. It was 979 times. If you got that slide, just bring it up from the previous week. Chazah. Is that really the word? 51 times. That was the mental perception, if you remember. So it's used a lot, but less than the physical vision. (laughs) Chazon. 34 times. And then (laughs) chazam. I'm assuming that's how Hebrew people, (laughs) Jewish people pronounce it. That's used nine times. There was another word that uses uh, vision very similarly to that last one. And it's in there a few times. But needless to say what you see is that the frequency goes down as we get to this ultra-spiritual vision, revelation place. Have you ever met anybody that's, that's like, oh, God told me to do this, and now oh, God told me to do this, and now oh, God told me to do this, and oh, now oh, God told me to do this, right? Have you met people like that? Yeah. It's mistaking one vision's frequency for another. What's crazy is that in heaven... You've heard people talk about the streets are made of gold. You go and you read it, and whether that's true or not, and there's actual streets that are paved with gold. The point is, is that even the most valuable things here on earth will be so abundant in heaven that they won't be the focus. That's not going to be the focus. Don't even worry. Gold will be everywhere. Even in Solomon's kingdom. During Solomon's reign, he received. A billion dollars a year in today's money from all the tributes that people paid him and all the taxes and gifts that people brought him. Gold was so plentiful. In fact, it says that silver was so abundant that it didn't even have any value anymore. What we see is that we learn to see here, and God grows us so that we can see that which is unseen. I love that message. Let's turn to Galatians 1. My goal today is for everybody to walk out of fear. How many have heard, it's almost a trite phrase at this point, we all have a calling on our lives, right? You've heard that. You have a calling on your life. Many of you have heard that and you've gotten tired of hearing it because you just want to know what it is. I know that I have a calling. I just want to know what it is, right? You have a calling on your life. My hope is that today when you leave, that you realize that you are already living out your calling. I'm going to explain what I mean. But I believe absolutely every single person on earth, in one way or another, is living out their calling right now. Okay, so remember, my goal for today is for you to understand that you are currently living out your calling. So we're in Galatians 1. Let's go to verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Now let's stop before we finish that sentence. Paul says that he was set apart from birth. Now this word set apart is aphorizo, And it literally means to mark off from others by boundaries, to limit, or to separate. Paul was set apart from birth. Help me reconcile the idea that Paul, who goes and kills a bunch of Christians and persecutes the church, can say with a good conscience, I was set apart from birth. Why wouldn't he say I was set apart when Jesus appeared to me? I was set apart at that point because we're in a wicked world. Why did he say I was set apart from birth? The word call that he uses here in verse 15, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased. When God was pleased, he called me by his grace. That word call there means to invite or to give a name to, to receive the name of, to give some name to someone or to one to be called. I believe that the way that Paul was set apart from birth was that he was given what he was called to do from birth. But because he was twisted and lost and hadn't yet received the revelation of who Jesus is, that he was using what he was called to do To break people and to hurt people. Why? Because he wanted to hurt people? No, because he was zealous for his beliefs. So Paul was energetic and passionate and zealous for his beliefs. Who would want to stop that? Well, if you're using it to harm people, then it's something that's not good. It's not from God. Now, Paul still got that calling on his life. It was there from birth. He was set apart from his mother's womb. You'll see it again in Romans 1 here in just a second. He was set apart, but he was using what he was called to do for purposes that were ungodly. He just didn't know it. He thought that he was doing God a favor by killing these Christians. What I believe is that a lot of us find ourselves in a place where we're doing what we're called to do. It's just twisted let me tell you my own story. So before I knew Jesus growing up, I'd have lots of influential adults in my life and was told from time to time, I'll bet you'll be a lawyer when you grow up because I argued with everybody. I remember manipulating people to get what I wanted too. I don't think I ever actually served an entire grounding. Like you're grounded for a week. Four days, and I get out of it, right? Getting out of things, I used my words to do it. I remember going through a season of life where I asked for everything free that I could possibly get. I think I walked out of Cinnabon with stacks of boxes because I asked them, hey, do you have anything for free before you throw it away? Now I think they have a policy for it. I'm not saying I created that policy or the need for it, but I remember going behind Little Caesars, too, And grabbing the pizzas that they would throw away and getting them out of the dumpster. I remember asking for free things at restaurants. But just using my words and and recognizing that when I spoke, I had the ability to, to move things or to change things. I recognized that. And I remember I also used it to hurt people and to speak things that were really damaging. To lie, to deceive, to coerce. But I remember when I received the revelation of who Jesus was. Many of you have heard me tell my testimony about being delivered of suicide and realizing that Jesus wasn't religion, but that he was freedom. When I received that revelation of who Jesus was, all of a sudden I started to change how I used my words. Now, you could see that there were still some traces of the old man in me, and maybe still some today that are being worked out. Probably, definitely Still some today that are being worked out. Hopefully less and less every day. Amen. Amen. That amen was for me? (laughs) Amen. Okay, cool. But what we can see is that now what I can see is that I'm using my words to proclaim the freedom that comes from the truth of God's word. So now if I'm trying to persuade anybody it's to let go of all the things that hinder him. Now, if I'm trying to ask for anything, it's to ask for souls, right? I'm, I had a calling that was on my life. I was just using it in a twisted way. I was running with my buddy Grant. Grant waves so everybody can see you. He loves it too. He wants everybody to see him wave. Grant... And I were running, and we were talking about this. Yes, I can run and talk at the same time. <laughs> but we were talking about this, and, uh, and Grant uh, was a photographer, still is, and, um, and also did some uh, modeling. And so he immediately answered, I want to be a, a role model. As soon as I was talking about these things, we were talking about the, the calling, and I'm like, yeah, I can see that. And I was like, and, and, and pull the best out of people, right? You can see that it's like, it's this almost kind of shallow thing whenever we just live in the external. Just the modeling or just the photography, just stopping there, right? There's a calling that's there because he's gifted. If you've seen him work, he's, he's gifted. He has skills. But when it's not submitted to God, then he can't see how deep it was actually supposed to go. This was Paul. This was Abram, who was later changed to Abraham. Let's go there for just a second. We're going totally out of order, Zach, so just run with me here. Let's go to Genesis 17. So the name Abram means exalted father, high father, exalted father. Problem is, that's what his name means, but he has no kids. So let's start in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep every male among you shall be circumcised So what happens in this moment God calls out to Abraham He's like hey you recognize that you're an exalted father because Abraham looked Abram looked before he was his name was changed he looked around and he's like I've got a following with me I don't yet have a son so he, he actually calls this out about Isaac before Isaac gets here. I don't have a son. Eleazar was his helper. So what you see, Abram is the exalted father. His name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations, father of a multitude. But there's something else that we might have missed in here, that when he goes from being just an exalted father, so he was shallow, exalted father. He's got a calling already. And you can see it. It's just not as deep as God wants to take it. And so God tells him here, the covenant between you and me, as a reminder of this new name that you've received, is that you will cut away the flesh. Here's what's interesting. Let's go back to that word. Set apart. Aphorizo. To mark off from others by boundaries, to limit, to separate. So there's two different ways that this word can be used. In a bad sense, it means to exclude as disreputable. In a good sense, it means to appoint or set apart for some purpose. So let me tell you the two ways that I believe that we can be living out our calling now without actually doing what God is calling us to do. I I believe that we're either doing it in a twisted way or in a shallow way. All of us are living out our calling right now. And if we're not devoted to Jesus and doing what He wants us to do with a revelation from Him about what we're supposed to do, then it's either shallow or it's twisted. There may be some of you in here who are musicians and you're making music. You know that that's a calling on your life. You can feel, I've been set apart to do this. I recognize there is something in me that wants to make music and I can feel God's pleasure when I'm making music. I can feel something come over me. People have affirmed, this is on your life, you do this well, I enjoy when you do this. It's affirmed. This is definitely a calling, a gift that's been given to you. And yet you feel like you are behind a barricade or like you're blocked or like it's not as deep as it's going to be. What I believe right now is that that's your calling. That may be one part of your calling, okay? Or your calling entirely. But if you feel blocked, if you feel shallow, or if you feel convicted at times for the way that you're using your gift, it's either because you've not let him take it deep enough or you're using it in a twisted way. And that's just for musicians. It could be people who are supposed to be pastors. Maybe you go around and you, like me, are a people pleaser. I was a people pleaser. I wanted everyone to like me. That's another facet of what I use my words to do. I wanted people to like me. And so I would use my words to say whatever I thought they wanted to hear so that they would like me. If I'm not careful, I can fall back into that. But if I let God use it and consecrate it and set it apart in His way for good then all of a sudden now I can speak what actually needs to be spoken to someone so that they can be reconciled with either man or God, or both. Let me give it to you in this example. So has anybody here ever ever had LASIK eye surgery done? All right. I'm going to tell you about my experience with LASIK. Some of you have heard this story. So I was praying that God would heal my eyes. I wanted him to heal my eyes supernaturally. I was believing for it. I prayed every day for 21 days straight, just like Daniel. Because sometimes you go through seasons in your life like that where it's like, yeah, this is the secret ingredient to make all my prayers get answered. Just do it straight for 21 days. So I prayed. But God did answer my prayer, so maybe there's still something to it. But he did it through a doctor that did LASIK eye surgery. My vision was terrible, 2,400. I couldn't even see the big E on the eye chart. That's how bad my vision was. But I was praying that God would... Would heal my eyes. So one day I saw in the newspaper we didn't have any money. Lindy and I were living in a Roach Motel when we first got married. There was literally the smell of a decaying rat in the wall. So we're living in that place. I had <laughs> I had no money, and I saw a coupon that was like six hundred dollars an eye. Now that back then it was like eighteen hundred dollars an eye. It was just crazy expensive. I think it was still fairly experimental. I'm not sure. It was like 12 years ago. <clears throat> so anyways, I go. This guy's name is Dr. January. I think he was from the Philippines. And so I go in, and he has on like um, tie-dye scrubs. So I walk in, and they strap me down on the seat, right, like handcuffs and like feet cuffs so that you don't move and shake. And they put like a thing over your head, too, so that you're like down on the table like this and then they tape my eyes open right so both my eyes are taped open and I'm strapped down like this and he's like okay let's go ahead and hit the lights lights go off I'm not even kidding so then and then there was like this blue hue in the room and then he's like let's get some music in here and it was like (laughs) so now I'm sitting down like this it's like a blue room With Dr. January and his tie-dyed scrubs, and he comes over me and puts a numbing drop in my eye, and then he takes a scalpel and cuts open my eye, and then he holds it open, and he takes a laser, and go it goes, and I can see smoke and smell my own eye burning. That's LASIK. That's how LASIK works. (laughs) My first thought was, how did they figure out that this would work? But afterwards, I asked, I said, like, how, what, 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 how does this solve my vision? And he said, well, inside your eye, there are rods and cones. And what this does is this cuts away all that doesn't belong on there so that your rods and cones can be reshaped to the way that they're supposed to be. And then your vision's restored. I think it's so interesting how God designed our bodies to be like that. That the way that our vision gets blurry is when things get added that don't belong. And what God has to do is come in and cut away the things that don't belong so that we can see. So now I look back at Abram's story, and I see that God cut away the things that didn't belong, and gave him a new name. How is that any different than you or I? What name do we bear? Jesus. We bear the name of Yeshua. Some people have an experience with God. They go back and they see that great men in the Bible sometimes receive name changes and they'll ascribe to themselves a new name. The name that we have received is Jesus. He's placed his name on us. Why? Why? Because the name carries the authority, and the authority has been placed in us. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Genesis. Let's look in Genesis, let's look in Genesis 3. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Up until this point, and these little things matter. When you're reading Genesis, remember, these little things matter. Up until this point, God has said, God has commanded, God has blessed, God has set apart things as holy, but he has not yet called anything. Nothing yet has been called. This is the first time that anything is called by God. And God called to the man. What had just happened between Adam and God? Separation. The fact that separation exists means that there has to be a calling. Why? Because once there is distance in between There must be a reaching out to grab. I want you to think, those whom God predestined, he also called. I want you to think about this. The very fact that God called out to Adam means that Adam was on his mind. Do you hear that? Adam was on the mind of God as God called out to Adam. Adam was separated from God. Adam was on God's mind. And God called out to him. I want you to know, if you've ever been poisoned by some facets of Calvinism, let me tell you this. You have a choice on what you do with the calling that's on your life. You can choose to stiff-arm God's setting-apartness of you And you can allow yourself to have no limits, no borders, and do whatever you want. That does not negate the call of God that's on your life. It's still there. The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. It's there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, right? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He calls out to every one of us. The calling is there. You're either operating with the vision that God has given you, carrying out what he's called you to do, or it's too shallow right now, and you haven't taken it deep enough. Let me give you a little, the shallowness. Let's say that there's a, a woman or a guy that's sleeping around. They're just going from person to person, sleeping around. Having casual affairs. What is it that they're looking for? They're looking for love and acceptance. That's easy. That's easy. Argue with me about that all day long. I promise you I'll win. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for love and acceptance. That's what they want. How do I know that? Because that's what we're all looking for. That's just a method that they've chose to use. Okay? Love and acceptance. And what is God saying? Is God saying, Stop looking for love and acceptance? No. saying, Take it deeper. Don't rest in the shallow. That's shallow to run from one encounter to the next. That's a shallow way to live. I've called you deeper than that. Let me show you a love and a freedom that's deeper than that. Let me show you a connection, an affirmation, a presence that's deeper than that. That's what he wants. Or it's twisted. Okay? Meaning that you're using it for your purposes. Now, I, I, I think that there are many, not just pastors of Christian churches, any religion, any movement, I think that there are people out there who can be using what God has given them and they can be doing it in a very deep way. I think of Tony Robbins. When you watch that dude, if any of you have ever watched that dude, yeah, that's a strong calling on that guy's life. But you watch the way that he uses it and it's twisted. So it's deep, but it's twisted. It's twisted. It's not submitted to the Lord. And many of us run after people who have deep callings, but we miss the twisted part of it. We don't see that it has to be both deep and true. There has to be a revelation of who Jesus is. It has to be what fuels what we do. So that word there is kara. It means to summon commission or invite so the hebrew word kara you can see that to summon commission or invite sounds a lot like the calling that's used on paul in the greek the kaleo to call to invite to give a name to be called you want to know what's something crazy adam has never actually given a name you go back in genesis and read it he's never called Adam, he's just called, he's just man. You say, well, yeah, that's what Adam means. Eve is given a name that has a meaning. Adam is never given a name. He's just called the man, man. We have to be called when we're separated from God. In God calling him, it's because there was a separation. Separation. Now we know him as Adam, but before they were so known to each other. It's like a name wasn't even needed. Isn't it interesting as you read back over Jesus and he's saying, that name that you gave me, he's referring to this name. It's like, what do you mean, Jesus? Like, Yeshua? Like, is that the name that he gave you? Is it Jehovah? Is it Adonai? Do you know that we say Yahweh, and that's not even like the actual accepted pronunciation of that? The yud hey vav He. They actually inserted those vowels so that we'd have a way to say it wrongly. I'm not even kidding. So that we wouldn't say it the right way and therefore profane it. So it's not even Yahweh. We sing songs Yahweh and we're like, yeah, that's the most pure name of God. That's like, that's not even the actual pronunciation. It's not known to us what the actual pronunciation is. But isn't it crazy how names work? Names ascribe function. But what's cool about Jesus is there's never a separation. Even as he becomes Jesus here on this earth, it doesn't say aphorizo for Jesus. It just says horizo. which sounds like chorizo, which is actually a Greek word meaning sausage. Just kidding. It is a Greek word though. (laughs) But Jesus is just horizo, which just means that he's defined. There's no separation. It literally is God defined. Jesus is God defined defined we were separated and we were called back to unity think about the word repent teshuva return come back it's a calling back it's like we were connected to the source at one point and now we're not and we still have traces of it left on us and we have to be plugged back in connected again return repent come back Come back to where the source is so that you can see. This is what changed Paul's life. This is what changed Abraham's life as they got a revelation in that moment. Cut away boundaries, a revelation of who Jesus is. Something changed so that they could see what they were actually called to do and take it as deep as God wanted them to take it. Vision of who Jesus is is what allows you to take your calling to the depths that God intends it to exist at and to be as true as God desires it to remain. Vision of Jesus. Yes, it's used the least amount of times, but I'm telling you, it's the most valuable. The most valuable vision that you will get is the revelation of who Jesus is. Amen. Period. You cannot receive a more valuable vision than that. So let me tell you, artists, creatives, businessmen and women, moms, dads, if you desire to have vision, go first to Jesus. I loved what Pastor Nick was talking about last week about how trash began to fill the valley of vision, it became polluted we get that ladder? There's a ladder over there, a giant one, that two men will need to. Did you really? Yeah. Leave it. Get it. Yeah, go ahead and get it. I thought about it. Here is what I see. Some of us have vision, but our vision is we're faced the wrong way. We're using what God has given us for our own kingdom. When you are building your own kingdom with what God has given you, you are faced the wrong way. There's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of confusion. Just set it right up here in the middle. And what God is asking us, you can set it right here because I'm going to climb right up to that light. And God is saying, turn around. Turn around. Look at me, look right at me, and you'll get your vision back. The idea of walking by faith and not by sight. So this is crazy dangerous because this ladder is always rickety. It's all good. Someone record it. As I'm climbing closer to this light, what happens to my eyes? Someone describe what's happening to my eyes right now. What's happening to everything else around? I can't see it. What can I see? And what happens to my face? Shining brightly, right? Moses comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing. It's radiant. And they're like, don't look at us, right? Because his face is shining. Some of us, this is what we need to do. We need to get closer to him so that everything else fades away, and he's our focus. And it's like there were people that were arguing and complaining about a a, a phrase that Pastor Mike said a few weeks ago, about uh, being so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. I get it. I get the argument against that. But let me tell you, we're not in danger of being no earthly good right now. Okay? So it's like, that's an unbalanced message. I promise you, we're fine. Okay? There is plenty of logic and reasoning to go around. Okay? Now, I'm talking to myself here, too. But I'm telling you, what we need more of is this. This is what we're lacking. we got plenty of down there on the floor talk about it, think about it, philosophize and reason it out. We're missing this. Amen. This is what we're missing. On, so some of us, this is how we need to get our vision back. And you say, I can't see. Yeah, walk by faith and not by sight, Amen. right? Amen. And then some of us, thank you, brother. Y'all can remove that. Some of us are in this place. God has shown you what you're supposed to do, but there are things blocking you from doing it. Some of us raise our hands if that's you. God has shown me what I'm supposed to do, but there are things blocking me from what I'm supposed to do. Okay, put your hands down. You've come up to what you're called to do. And you're here and you're like, I would do it, but there are chairs in the way and there are people in the way. And I believe that what God is is telling many of you to do is this. Excuse me, guys. Excuse me. Excuse me. Here. Excuse me. I'm trying to get here. Excuse me. Come on. Come on. Come on. And this is what we're supposed to do. If you need to ask for help, if you need to move some things around, if you need to do things differently than you've ever done before, if you need to be bold and courageous and step out in faith, then do it. Yes, God will move these things. Yes, he will work on your behalf. Yes, he will fight for you. But I guarantee you, you play a part in it. He would have done this whole thing way differently if he never intended you to play a part in it. Inheriting the promised land involved them fighting. Walking in the desert was them simply existing and realizing that God was the one who would sustain them. But once they got into the promised land, it was about fighting. Yes, there are stories of them praising and the enemies falling. And I love that story. That's one of my favorites. And there will be battles that you fight like that. But there will also be battles where everyone else is terrified to step out and face a giant who's taunting everyone. And you must be willing to step out there and die. What if I die? It doesn't matter. The Lord told me to do it. That's my vision. He's shown me what needs to be done. I felt the calling of God on my life when we moved up here. And as much as I would love to say, because that story would be so romantic, I didn't know when we came up here that this would be. We prayed about where to go and asked God, where do you want us to go? And we did feel like this area was where he was sending us, and so we packed up and we moved up here in faith. And I started a state farm job, and the whole way, and I've described that before, that this whole thing began was this like unglamorous, slightly embarrassing story. But there was a calling on my life, and I had rods and cones that were all conflagated, Right? And I couldn't see. But I, I saw little glimpses of what he was of what he was showing me. And I remember, I remember as things progressed, I began to see a little bit more clearly, and then a little bit more clearly, and then I had to say no to a few more things. And then a few people were upset with me. And then I had to say yes to some other things that made life in the short term a little more difficult. And then I had to be willing to sacrifice this and that, but I was seeing something and I was more. Rather than saying no to all these other things, I was saying yes to some of these things that God was showing me. They interviewed a whole bunch of Olympic athletes and they asked them, tell us what you. what's the hardest thing that you had to sacrifice in getting to your goal. And the majority of them, their answer was, I didn't see it as a sacrifice. I had a choice and this was what I wanted to do. I could see it. They saw what they were after And it wasn't them going, oh, I really want to go do that, but, oh, yeah, okay, I'm I'm coming. That's not how they got to where they were. These are people that you admire, that you look up to because of their persistence. I called this message today, Good to Great. It was intended to be kind of a play on this book. There's a book by Jim Collins, it's a business book, and it's... The subtitle's like, you know, why some companies make the leap or succeed and others don't. It's talking about how a company goes from being just a good company to a great company. I think it's ridiculous. The most powerful books, most powerful business books, all they did was just take biblical principles, reword them a little bit to sound less religion-y, right, and then sell it to you. And then we're like, ah, you know. $5,000 $5,000 to go to this guy's conference, and this, you have five of these at your house. It's a, that's a rant, I won't get on soapbox. But the, here's what I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. The truth that God wants to give you will direct you along your way, trust him. Have the vision that he's called you to have. Some of you say, well, yeah, okay, I, I get all that. Let's say, I know Jesus, and, and, but I still don't know what, what I'm called to do. Here are some very practical ways that you can figure out what it is that you're called to do, just in case that's the hang up. What do you find yourself doing? What is it that you always end up doing when you're in a crowd of people, or when you're by yourself, or when you have the opportunity to create, or when you have the opportunity to rest, or whatever? What is it that you're doing? Do you cook? Do you make music? Do you write? Do you paint? Do you like to counsel other people? Do you like to do physical things? Whatever they may be, recognize the way that you tend to feel drawn. This is for most people, okay? Some people have just been distracting themselves their entire lives and haven't even really figured out what it is that they like to do or what they're good at. But what do you find yourself doing? Can some of you, raise your hand if you, if it's like, yeah, this is what I like to do. Like, as I'm saying that, you're like, yeah, this is what I like, no, seriously, please, sir. is there, is, this is what I like to do. I know what I like to do whenever, okay, now think about that. God desires to consecrate that for himself. Get the revelation of who Jesus is, understand who Jesus is, and the fact that he is who you need to be doing this for, okay. Now, what does that look like? I believe that's your calling. Let him take it deeper. Let him untwist it if it's gotten twisted. And what you'll find at the bottom of that is your calling. I believe that that's how you find what you're called to do. So let's say that I'm called to be, I guess the best word would be a pastor. Although I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't label it as that, but let's just say that for time's sake that's the easiest way because I feel like I understand what I'm called to do the vision of what God has called me to do <clears throat> looks like what's right in front of me right now this is part of what it looks like it also looks like being in the home group it also looks like talking with the disciples it also looks like doing question and answer bible studies impromptu here and there that's the vision So when I see an opportunity for that, I'm not thinking, oh, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking, yes, this is what I was created to do. God's put a calling on my life and I can see it, so let's do it. This is what I'm I'm here for. And then I do it, and I do it as under the Lord, not for man. And I'm recognizing that he's given me an opportunity to fulfill my vision. Now, is there a vision that's even beyond this? Sure. And that should be for all of us. When there's a calling on our lives and we've received the revelation of who Jesus is, the vision of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to carry it out will get greater and greater as we obey more and more. As we obey more and more, what will he do? He will further consecrate us. He will further mark off boundaries, limitations, and separations. But here's what's beautiful, is that as he's limiting you, as he's separating you, as he's creating these boundaries... When you're pursuing him, it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice. Does that make sense? There are things that you now say no to that you didn't before. Before, I would do all sorts of things that I won't even mention right now that were harmful to me and harmful to other people. But as I received the revelation about who Jesus was, I began to cut those things out of my life. And the boundaries and the limitations got greater and greater And greater, but I didn't feel trapped. I was choosing to say yes to these things. So it's not just behavioral modification or discipline. It's you falling more in love with Jesus, which causes you to want to say yes more and more and more. And as you say yes over and over again, you'll find that it gets more and more specific what you're called to do. Me and Nick were talking this morning And I believe that there are many churches and organizations and different things like that that may be this in size, but I believe that there are a specific number of people who understand what God has called them to do that exist inside those bodies or inside those organizations. I believe that there are many outliers and there are different levels of involvement and commitment that are there, but I believe that there are Always a group of people, a remnant, that exist inside these different bodies or organizations that are passionately in love with the Lord, that have a vision about what He's called them to do, and are sacrificing daily and consistently to reach what He's calling them to do. And the rest of the people around them simply benefit from that. It creates a world when, if, if, let's just say that all of us in this room were to say, all right, we're in, let's do it. Here's what I'm called to do. I'm going to consecrate it for the Lord. I'm going to say yes to what He wants me to say yes to. And I'm going to go as deep as he wants to take me. I believe that we would create a, a world, an environment, a lifestyle that would ripple to the people around us. We couldn't help but do it. I believe that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not about four walls. It's not about a name on a sign. It's about people who have fallen passionately in love with Jesus. And they're all like, let's go. You know what I mean? And sometimes the let's go is... Let's go. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Does what I just did make sense? That's sign language for passion. (laughs) Let's go to Romans 1. Just a couple more of these. Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. You just saw Horizo, that's what that was, who was declared to be the son of God. He was defined to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. This word that's used here when it says called is a different word than he uses in Galatians. This word here is kletos, and it means invited to a banquet. What? Divinely selected and appointed. How beautiful. To think of what he's calling us to as a celebration. To think of what he's calling us to as this big gathering of happiness and joy and peace and every good thing. That's what he's calling us to. Sometimes we think that it's this bloody, <coughs> dark, you know, <coughs> you know, kind of thing. That was like Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> but what we see is that it's this beautiful picture. We always quote Psalm 23. He set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't mean that you're sitting at a table with people who hate you. <laughs> what that means is that he's preparing a table. It's like it's like if this, my notes are supposed to be up here, right? and then there's someone beating down the door so they're like you know and there's enemies hey let us in yeah yeah and then he's sitting over here and he's like and then i'm like right because i can hear the sound yeah, let us in yeah, yeah. you know and then he's and he's preparing a table he's making sure that everything is perfect is good, and he's just taking his time. That's what it means. Prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That means that evil and death and darkness are trying to beat down the door, and he's not losing it, not even one little bit. He's carefully preparing everything just the way that he wants it. With peace, precision. I one time jokingly asked God, I said, how's it going? Just like just being silly. How's it going, God? And he said, right on time. And I was kind of, I immediately started crying. I was like totally just joking with the Lord in a moment. And I thought, yeah, he's never caught off guard when he calls us, when he sets us apart, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how much the odds are stacked against what he's called us to do. He's not, he's not out of control. He's not ill prepared or improperly equipped. So if he's not, then you're not. Why? Because he's in you. He's in you, and if He's in you and you're doing what He's called you to do, let me ask you, is He going to let finances stop that? Is He going to let those that disagree with you stop that? Is He going to let government regulations? Is He going to let weather? Is He going to let disagreements stop that? He won't let any of these things stop that. Now we may get up to the obstacles and go, I can't. I, maybe later. You know what I mean. That may be what we do, but he's never caught off guard. He's never afraid of providing for you as you do what he's called you to do. There were many battles, including Gideon's battle, as 300 men went up against an entire city. There was never a point at which God was afraid of the odds or at which God was unable to deliver his people to victory. Peter was able to walk on the water, wasn't he? Did he doubt that Jesus had the power to walk on the water? No, he was watching Jesus walk on the water. You've heard it before. He didn't believe that he could do it. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse 21. It says, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. In the setting apart, in the calling out, in the revelation, There's automatically included with it limitations, boundaries, okay, that come with it. There is a cutting away, just like Abraham had to receive a cutting away of the flesh. In our hearts, we receive a cutting away of the flesh around our hearts so we could be consecrated to him. This word holy, if you ever wondered what the word holy means, it means set apart. I have these post-its. These post-its are all the same. There's there's no difference to any one of these post-its. They're all the same. Just like just like all the peoples of earth, just like all the nations were, right? There was nothing different about any one of them. And yet all of a sudden, he took one of them and he wrote his name on those people. And he said, This is my treasure possession. Was it anything that this post it note did? No, it's just, it's still just like in its state. It's still just like all the rest of these post note, it notes. But because his name is on it, it makes this holy, set apart, consecrated. Israel was and is holy. How? They're set apart, they're consecrated. We in Hebrews are called the Hagios. Saints. You've heard people call you saint before. You say, I'm not a saint. They only knew what I did. Yeah, classic answer. But you're still called a saint, okay? It's the same word that's used for the holy of holies. hagios. You're a saint. You're a hagios. You're the holy of holies. So there are a people group that has been consecrated or set apart. You've been set apart even further. Holy of holies. The set apart from that which is set apart. But God is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart from that which is set apart from that which is set apart. He is holy all unto himself. But we still get to share in that. This is uh, Germany. (laughs) If we could be a people who recognize, hey, this is what I feel that I'm called to do. God has put it on my life. I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it in all my circles of friends, in my jobs, in my hobbies, and the things that I like to do. I recognize that this is who he's made me to be. But I know that I haven't consecrated it to him yet. I know that it's not been set apart for his purposes. I know that I don't have any limitations or boundaries around my life right now. Then you are living... Directionless, you may have received a vision about who Jesus is, but you have not allowed him to cut away that which does not belong. Jesus wants to cut away that which does not belong, he wants to create a space for you that you can live in and build his kingdom. I'm not talking about the physical, I'm talking about the spiritual. He's creating a space for you to live out what you were called to do. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's dancing. Maybe it's construction of some sort. Maybe it's mechanical work. Maybe it is business and finance. Whatever it is, he desires it to be consecrated for his purposes. What I believe that he's speaking to us today is to say yes to the things that we're supposed to say yes to and to say no to the things that we're supposed to say no to. You say, how can I know? Climb back up to the light. That's prayer. That's the word of God. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and they're like, I feel like I don't know what God's calling me to do. I feel like I feel like I don't know what God's calling me to do. I feel like I don't, I don't get it, you know? Nothing makes sense. I don't know what my purpose is, you know? And then, and, then, and then I'm like, well, have you been reading the Word? Have you been praying? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be reading the Word and praying, but I mean, w- what other answer is there, though? I mean, there's got to be, like, some other answer. For my own life, I've been, I've been serving God passionately for 12 years. Ups and downs, Sure. I, I recognize that this is, this is it, and, and prayer, time with him, and, and this. Worshiping is an overflow, my relationships with others. I give to others what I receive from him. So even that, it's like what has to come first is the word. There's no way around it. Oh, I don't like to read, you know. Get an audio Bible. Do whatever you have to do. I am telling you, this is it. Prayer is it. Oh, I, you know, I get really easily distracted. It's a muscle, like any other muscle. If I were to sit down and try and arm curl 50 pounds right now, some of you may think, 50 pounds, no problem. For me, that would not be so easy right now. <clears throat> Can't do it. But if you gave me a few months, maybe I could work up to it. It wouldn't be as hard as it is right now. Why? Because like anything else, it's a muscle. Prayer, concentration, focus on the Lord, on His goodness, on His precepts and His commands, is a muscle like anything else. So you sit down and you say, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer, I'm going to do it every day for the rest of the week, and you haven't been praying for months and months and months. Yeah, it's going to be really difficult, like saying I haven't worked out in months and I'm going to go to the gym for four hours. What's going to happen? You're probably going to hurt yourself and you're not going to want to go work out again for a while. <clears throat> Start where you're at. Some of you say, oh, I pray all day long. I never stop praying, man. Don't worry about it. I pray it without ceasing. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying also consecrate your time for Him. There's no way around that. I promise you. You can go to seminars. You can go to conferences. You can go to miraculous weekend things. You're always going to come back. There is no way around reading the Bible and praying. No way around it. The church that you go to, doesn't matter what church you go to, bouncing around from church to church, if you're not in your Bible and you're not praying, it won't be long before you hate this place too. No way around the word and prayer. Period. You want better vision? Get close to the light. Amen. Everything else will blur away. You'll be fine with your earthly goodness, okay? <laughs> Get close to the light. That's what people need. Let's stand together and, and, and I want to say just a couple more things. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I think we left right before the, uh, the wedding. We did a... Uh, renewal service here, which I thought was beautiful, I was crying multiple times, we had a, um, we had a reception in here, we had alcohol, we had a few secular songs, no bad words or talking about sex or anything like that, but they were, there was a moment where I recognized, wait a second, is this okay, and and there's no one that we can like ask, We like, hey, is this okay for us to do? We just have to, Lord, is, is this okay? And I felt like he spoke through a couple people that uh, I respect, and I just want to apologize. not saying you can listen to whatever music you want. I think secular music, secular music is like food sacrificed to idols. I honestly think that that's the modern-day equivalent, as long as it's not evil and perverse. But what I recognize is we're the church, absolutely, and yet there is something special about a consecrated space. Does that make sense? Amen. And I want to apologize and repent because I feel like at this place were rod and cones that I added some stuff to it. So I want to apologize for that. I recognize that in my own life, when things get added that blur my vision, that it hurts those around me. You know what I realized? That's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. When our vision gets blurry, when it gets polluted, when the valley of vision gets filled with trash, we start to lose what Jesus looks like. We start to forget about the light. The glow starts to go away. I thought it was so amazing today as we were singing. All of a sudden, all these songs, Here Am I, Send Me missions and sending out for the the people but i remember when we did a find his heart event and the whole event was about finding the heart of god and i felt like in a moment when we were worshiping there was one moment where we were right there for like a second for like a second and it's like i feel like i caught the father's heart in that one second only time in my life that's ever happened I'm not saying I've never been close to the Lord or that I never, yeah, that's happened many, many times. But in that one moment, I felt like we were in the center of it. And I felt him impressing on me. It wasn't words. I felt this like environment, like this feeling of going after that which is lost and pulling it back in. And as we're talking about vision and as we're talking about getting the revelation of Jesus, how could we pass up recognizing that all of this is for the ministry of reconciliation? This is to reconcile that which was lost, that which is far off. Because if we get this right, if we get this right, it means rescuing for those who are far off. It means deliverance for those who are clouded and can't see. You want to talk about eyes of the blind being open? Go deeper than the physical. What about those that can't see Jesus, finally seeing Him, and those eyes being open? What about those that can't hear the voice of the Father, finally being able to hear Him? Yeah, bring the blind eyes and the deaf ears and let them be opened as well, but I'm saying, let our focus be on restoring the souls That are far out there because he's calling to them. Let's pray. Father, I speak a blessing over my brothers and sisters. I say pour out your revelation. You are calling to us right now. You are calling us by name. You are calling out to us. And you are saying return. Return back to me the source. So Father, I speak Blessing that brings us back to you over my brothers and sisters. I speak the energy, I speak the favor, the prosperity, I speak the determination and the perseverance to continue on that journey back to you so that you can take what you've put inside of us as deep and as true and as real as you want to, Father. Take it as deep as you want to go expose to us what we've been missing. Whether we've been out there persecuting the church or persecuting Christians or defaming the name of Jesus, whether we've been seeking freedom through alcohol, whether we've been seeking love through uh, shallow relationships, whether we've been using our gifts for our own gain, wherever you find us, Lord, untwist it and take us deeper. We thank you for the revelation of you, Jesus, that you defined yourself, Father, for us to understand your love for us. Help us lay down the things that hinder us and block our vision so that we can seek and save that which is lost. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.